Hello, everyone. I'm Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Myers Detox podcast. Today, we have Dr. Joe Pizzorno on the show. He's one of the, the top voices about toxins and detoxification, and uh, he lectures around the world and educating doctors on how to detox their patients. And he really does amazing work, amazing research, writes textbooks, and I'm so honored to have him today on the show. And we're going to be talking about arsenic today. So we'll talk about how arsenic is causing, causing cancer and diabetes. And today we're going to learn about the number one cause of diabetes and obesity. We'll talk about how arsenic poisons the pancreas to promote diabetes. We'll talk about uh, where you get arsenic and how it hurts your health the steps that you need to take before embarking on a weight loss or detox program, and how poor diet and lifestyle promote the production of toxic estrogens that lead to cancer. We'll also discuss persistent toxins like PCBs and how the uh, obesity is directly correlated to the amount of PCBs that people have in their body and the unleashing of PCBs in the environment. So really there's a direct correlation between biosphenol A as well. The more plastics and biosphenol A you're exposed to, the higher the obesogen level. So really, really interesting conversation today. So I know you guys listening are really concerned about your health, your weight, about toxins and how toxins are affecting you. So I created a quiz called heavymetalsquiz.com. You can go there, take it. It only takes a couple of minutes and you can find out your relative level of body burden of toxins. And after you take the quiz, you get a totally free video series that answers your most frequently asked questions. How long does it take to detox? What are the best supplements to take? What kind of testing should I do to find out what toxins I have? Just go to heavymetalsquiz.com. It's totally free. You can take the quiz. Our guest today, Dr. Joe Pizzorno, is a world-leading authority on science-based natural medicine, a term that he coined in 1978. He is a licensed naturopathic physician, educator, researcher, clinician, and lecturer. He is the founding president of Bastyr University, editor-in-chief of Integrative Medicine, a clinician's journal chair of the board of the Institute for Functional Medicine and co-founder of the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. He's also a founding board member of the American Herbal Pharmacopoeia and on the science boards of Heck Foundation, Gateway for Cancer Research in Bioclinical Naturals. He was appointed by Presidents Clinton and Bush to two prestigious commissions advising the US government on how to integrate natural medicine into the healthcare system. And he is a recipient of numerous awards and honors and the author and co-author of 13 books, including the best-selling Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine, which is amazing, and the principal textbook in the field, the textbook of natural medicine. His newest book, The Toxin Solution, was released in February 2017 by HarperCollins. You can learn more about Dr. Pizzorno and his work at drpizzorno.com. Dr. Pizzorno, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got so interested in detoxification? So I've been involved in medicine now for literally over a century. Mm -hmm. I uh, worked in medical research way back in the 1970s and then 
learned about naturopathic medicine and decided to become a naturopathic doctor. So as a naturopath, of course, I've always been interested in the area of nutrition and toxins. And and I've had a lot of patients and I've seen environmental toxins causing harm and I've helped them out. Then about 10 years ago, I was invited by one of the wealthiest men in Canada to develop a wellness program for his employees. They were oil field workers. And so I thought, okay, well, oil field workers, you know, I thought oil field workers, that kind of worked in my head as well. They're working in oil refinery and things like that. So I developed uh, some tests for that. Well, when I got there, I discovered that these were not working in refineries. These were people who were going out into the prairies in Alberta and checking the pumps to make sure the pumps were pumping oil properly. So they actually weren't getting the exposure that was expected. But nonetheless, I already decided why I wanted to test. So I tested them and I found they were full of toxins. And I was surprised because the amount of toxins I was finding was higher than I expected from the research literature. So then I started looking into the research on environmental toxins and started realizing that a lot of these toxins were causing a lot of disease. And as a matter of fact, I started to see the research saying that the epidemic of chronic disease we're seeing in every age group looks like it's primarily due to environmental toxins. So I started looking, well, which are the worst toxins? And the one, the first one that came out was arsenic. And it was a big surprise because you don't hear people talk about arsenic as a problem. But then as I started looking at the research, I found one study that showed that one third of the major cancers, like lung cancer and things like that, was due to arsenic. What's yeah, I was on? very arsenic toxic, oh. for sure. Where, and did you figure out where it's coming from? I, I assume because I used to eat a lot of non-organic chicken and non-organic uh -huh. eggs. And I used to eat a little pollo loco a lot and thinking that was health food <laughs> for many years. And so I think I got a lot of my arsenic there. Right, right, possible. The three main sources are water, chicken, and rice. Now, in general, when you look at the epidemiological research around the world, what has the strongest correlation with water? Drinking water is contaminated with arsenic. And it turns out that's really common. Here in the U.S., 10% of the public water supplies that have recorded their results have arsenic levels known to induce disease in humans. And only half the public water supplies have recorded their arsenic levels, which is a little strange. It's not a very expensive test. Yeah, that's very suspect because that's one of the most common water contaminants, and especially around the world. I know in Bangladesh, and in India as well, they have a horrible, horrible problem with the arsenic toxicity in the water levels. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, so tell us, so how big of a health problem is arsenic? Can you tell us some of the, the symptoms of arsenic toxicity? So that's the problem. You don't, don't tend to get a lot of uh, symptoms at chronic low level exposure. So when you're exposed to high levels, well, it's, it's urgent and you end up in the room gets figured out real easy. The problem is when people are consuming on a regular basis at a relatively low level, it causes cumulative damage to the DNA. Not only does it cause cumulative damage to the DNA, which then makes you more susceptible to cancer, but also damage to the pancreas. And you know, pancreas is responsible for producing insulin. And then when the pancreas can't produce insulin, you get diabetes. So you're gonna start looking at which diseases are most strongly correlated with arsenic levels. It's most of your cancers, diabetes, 
stroke. It's a, it's a big problem. Yeah, and doesn't it also poison enzymes that transport triglycerides out of fat cells? And I know one of the you know, symptoms of arsenic toxicity is weight gain. People can become overweight or have resistant weight loss as well. Yes, there are, there, there are many examples where arsenic causes problems of that nature. Um, now, when you're looking at weight gain, I think bisphenol A is actually worse. <laughs> okay. So you look at a diagram, you look at a, a graph of amount of bisphenol A in a person's body and amount of obesity and direct correlation. Mm, interesting. So yes, arsenic contributes. Um, I think probably contributes as much to the metabolic syndrome side of it as anything else, but the bisphenol A is actually even stronger. Mm. Yeah, and I heard that, uh, or I read that Napoleon Bonaparte died of arsenic toxicity. That was discovered in HTMA, you know, years after his death. And so um, can we go over some of the diseases that are caused by arsenic? Sure. There is a, a study done in Italy, which I thought was really good because it was a prospective study. So a prospective study is, you don't know what the outcomes are going to be. You're going to take a group of people and then follow them for a period of time. So this was a prospective study, 20 years long, 20,000 people, where they measured their arsenic levels, and then they looked at what kind of diseases they developed. And what they found was stroke and cancer were by far the biggest factors, and then into a, a lesser degree of diabetes, and then a number of other cancers. Yeah, and so, and diabetes is such a huge problem in our society. And I love what you said in your book, The Toxin Solution, that the number one primary driver of diseases today are toxins. Yes. And can you expand on that, that thought a little bit more? So the, um, the disease that grabbed my attention first was diabetes. And it grabbed my attention because when I was in naturopathic medical school half a century ago, Diabetes affected less than 1% of the population. Matter of fact, when I was in private practice, I didn't see my first diabetic patient until I'd been in practice for a year. And you might say, well, I'm a new practitioner, you don't see a lot of patients. I was fully booked within six months. So I was seeing, I was seeing as many patients as I could. So one year before I saw my first patient, now about 10% of the population has diabetes, and one third of the population is projected to get diabetes. So I said, whoa, why is that? Our genetics didn't change. And you might say, well, sugar. Yeah, sugar is not good for us, but there's no correlation between sugar consumption and the diabetes epidemic. The increase in sugar happened way before the epidemic started. Yeah. So I kept looking, looking, and I started seeing, oh, organochlorine pesticides, oh, bisphenol A, oh, arsenic. And so I started looking at these different toxins. And near as I can tell, about 90% of the diabetes epidemic is due to environmental toxin. Now you might say, wait a minute, obese people have way more diabetes, must be obesity. And it's true, obese people have way more diabetes. But obese people in the bottom 10% of body load of environmental toxins don't have increased diabetes. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm be clear. I'm not saying being morbidly obese is okay, it's not, okay? But as the explanation for diabetes, not it. It's, it's the toxin. It's not having the fat. It's what's in the fat that causes the trouble. Yeah, and, and I also firmly believe that people that are overweight or they have resistant weight loss, their body is not letting go of the fat because it needs this fat as a storage receptacle. It has to have somewhere to put this garbage to keep it away from vital organs. What are, what are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting hypothesis. When I was doing this study in Canada on stainless toxins, 
and seeing the correlation with, with weight, the person sponsored said, well, I want people to get fat just to dilute the toxins so it doesn't cause as much damage. And I thought at the time that didn't make a lot of sense. And now I think actually it's probably a pretty smart insight. The body is kind of naturally, because what, what happens is many of the worst of the toxins are work are fat soluble. But not only are they fat soluble, but they're really hard to detoxify. The worst of them are the PCBs, the polyclonated biphenyls. So even though they were banned for over 40 years ago, they are what are called persistent organic pollutants, which means they're hard to break down. So once they get into our bodies, they accumulate in the body. So you look at body levels as people age, the levels of PCBs, levels of DDT, also banned 40 years ago, they keep going up. And it looks because the body can't get rid of them. The half-life of PCBs is two to 20 years. So some of these PCBs, once they get in your body, say get in your body when you're 10 years old, takes four half-lives to get rid of it. So if it's a 20-year half-life, you won't get rid of them until you're age 90. Okay. So it, it's it's hugely problematic. And so these things build up build up in the body and they cause uh, cumulative uh, additional damage. Is there any way that you know of to get rid of PCBs? Yes. Uh, and it turns out fiber and bile sequesters are the best agents. So what happens is the body does secrete some of this into the gut every day. Not very much, but it secretes some of it. But because our diet is so low in fiber, it gets reabsorbed into body through something called intrahepatic circulation. So as we evolved as a species, we're consuming 100, 150 grams of fiber a day in the, in the diet. So the, the, as we evolved our systems, the liver would dump the stuff into the gut, bind to the fiber, go out through the stools. Well, if there's no fiber, it gets reabsorbed. And so good news is we can just learn about it with fiber. The, the more aggressive approach is to take a drug, which, what are called biosequestrants. So these are things like cholestyramine and colostomide, things of this nature. They were developed to get to reduce cholesterol. And while they do reduce cholesterol, at the dosages they had to use, you got unpleasant side effects like smelly, oily diarrhea and things like that. So people didn't, don't like using them. But it turns out, not only do they bind to cholesterol, they also bind to many of these really bad fat-soluble toxins. So it's, it's actually pretty effective. Is that something that you recommend in your patient population? If the levels are high enough, I do. Okay. Uh, if they're being symptomatic and the levels are high enough, I strongly recommend it. Okay, fantastic. So let's go back to arsenic. So what percentage of the population do you think are arsenic toxic? So going back to that Italian study I mentioned, and you look at the level they found at which people above that level start having all this disease, and then you look at the levels of arsenic in the, in, in the United States, 35% of people in the United States are above the threshold found in Italy to cause disease. So one out of three people is suffering disease right now because of arsenic. Hmm. It's not rare. This is real every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've tested thousands of people and a good fraction of those have arsenic tested. I mean, it's just so incredibly common. And so what is the best way to test for arsenic levels? If someone's, you know, they hear this or curious, they want to do some testing. The uh, vast majority of the research is on urinary arsenic. And it turns out urinary arsenic is a pretty good measure of what's going in the body. What makes arsenic so interesting compared to other toxins, I'm sure you've seen this as well, and that is arsenic has a short half-life. So half-life of arsenic is only two to four days. So if you stop exposure, it'll, it'll all go away. Now, it'll take time to repair all the damage, but you can get your arsenic level down pretty quickly. 
the challenge is that people are constantly being exposed to arsenic. So if you eat chicken regularly, you eat rice regularly, if they're in one of the areas where the water supply is contaminated with arsenic, they just keep putting arsenic back into the body. So if you want to determine a person's arsenic levels, if they're in their normal environment, urinary works just fine. But what if you have somebody who's working on a farm? Yeah, I live in Seattle. Let's say somebody who's working on a farm in eastern Washington, and there's a lot of arsenic in the water supply in that farm. They come to, to Seattle to hear about this. He's by the doctor who knows a lot about environmental medicine, wants to come see me. And while they're here, they go to Costco and they you know, go to a local grocery store, go to a movie, and they don't see me until they've been here for a few days. No point measuring their urine levels because it's already washed out. So if you're not seeing a person in a normal environment, you can use toenail arsenic. And while it's not great, toenail arsenic does correlate with things like diabetes and correlates with cancer and things of this nature. Okay, great. And so earlier you mentioned that we get arsenic from water, uh, chicken, rice, et cetera. You know, and, and I think people need to be aware that even if they're drinking filtered water or bottled water, you still can get arsenic from your shower water if your municipal water source is not removing it. Um, can you tell us any other sources of arsenic people should be aware of? There are many areas of the country where you've got industrial contamination uh, of the environment from arsenic. So uh, I had an example of that in Portland, where there's small companies that produce colored glass. Well, it turns out they're releasing arsenic and cadmium into the environment okay, from producing colored glass. So there's plenty, plenty of areas where you have industrial contamination where you wouldn't expect it because you're not living in an obviously industrialized area, but it's being leaked into the environment. Another really serious one for children is old climbing toys. So the old wooden climbing toys were uh, preserved with arsenical compounds. And what happens when kids uh, uh, play on them and crawl on the wood and things like that, they pick, up, they pick up the arsenic. Another area is wooden boats. So a lot of the compounds that have been painted, used to paint on the, the wood on the wooden boats so that barnacles and such won't eat them, they have arsenic in them, they have cadmium in them, they have all kinds of toxins. So people working in the wooden boat industry uh, and or people who spend a lot of time touching wooden boats and things like that, they have a chance to pick up arsenic. There's, there are a bunch of ways to pick up arsenic. Yeah, I mean, it's in a lot of our foods. It can be in water that's used to irrigate foods and crops so it can get into vegetables. And it's just, you know, these toxins are in our air, food, and water in a lot of places. So what is the best way to get arsenic out of the body? There's a lot of different substances that detox arsenic, thankfully. Um, what are your favorites? Now that's that's the key question. So with all the toxins, number one, of course, is avoid it. And number two, then get them out of the body as fast as you can. But sometimes you got situations where it's very difficult to avoid. Arsenic is interesting in that it goes through a two-step detoxification process. And what happens is the body binds methyl groups to the arsenic, but it does it through a two-step process. So it do the first methylation produces something called MMA, which is monomethyl arsenic acid, we'll say MMA for short. It's actually eight times as toxic as regular elemental arsenic. So vitamin quickly does a second methylation to produce DMA, dimethyl arsenic acid, and that is 400 times less toxic than elemental arsenic. So you gotta go through both phases. Turns out there are several factors that impair people's ability to get rid of arsenic. Number one is they're in trouble with methylation. So people with high homocysteine levels, and I assume most of your audience know about homocysteine. Homocysteine is a waste product in the, well, 
it's an interesting molecule in the body. When homocysteine levels get too high, you get more heart disease, dementia, and it's really a toxic molecule. It damages DNA and things of this nature. But we need some methyl homocysteine in the body because it's the storage form for cysteine. And we use that cysteine to produce glutathione, which is so protective for us. It also has methyl groups around. So normal amount of homocysteine, like six to, six to seven, maybe five to seven is about the right range. Anything above 10 is clearly very toxic. Well, it turns out uh, the reason homocysteine levels may be elevated is because of a loss of methyl groups. And those methyl groups are needed not just to detoxify homocysteine, but required to detoxify arsenic as well. So if somebody has high homocysteine levels, they're going to have more trouble getting rid of arsenic. But there's a second problem. Some people, not common, it's only one out of 100 people, well, they'll do the first methylation stage very efficiently and produce the eight times more toxic MMA. They get stuck there. They don't do the second methylation stage very well at all. So they end up getting more toxicity from the arsenic. So when we're looking at the arsenic detoxification, so it's not just avoiding the arsenic, but it's also making sure the methylation is working as well as possible. So if the person's homocysteine levels are up, you got to figure out why that's happening and get the, the homocysteine down so they can have methyl groups they need to get rid of the arsenic. Yeah, and so, and what supplements do you like? What, what uh, you know, binders or mobilizers or whatnot do you like to use to detox arsenic? Oh, this is pretty interesting. Um, I just finished a brand new lecture, literally just this past week, that I've titled Unimportant Molecules. So why would I like write a lecture about something that's unimportant? So I really wrote the lecture is because when we look at food, we've decided only 50 elements and molecules in food are important. You know, the vitamins and minerals, you know, acids things like that. But that's an antiquated, antiquated, that's in the word right. It's an old, it's an, it's an outdated concept, okay? Because a lot of the research on nutrition, determining what we need, was determined when we had more limited tools for studying human physiology. So we decided that, you know, less than 50 molecules were important. And so then as we grew foods with chemicals rather than organically, as we hybridize our foods, as we refined our foods, when since not a lot of these vitamins and minerals were being lost, we thought it was okay. But it turns out other molecules in the food were lost. I'll, I'll, I have a reason for the story. I'll get to it. It turns out there are about 50,000 molecules in food. We decided that 99.9% .9 of what's in food is not important. We call that unimportant, you know, and I'm calling it unimportant molecules. When we start doing the current research, looking at current research, we find these molecules are really important, which brings us back to arsenic. So remember, methylation is critical for arsenic detoxification. Methylation requires folic acid. More accurately, it requires folates. So if you look at our diet, we have natural folates in our diet that are methylated and already ready to go to do all the methylation work that we need. But because our diet has changed so much, we've lost the natural folate from our diet, and then we decided to supplement that with folic acid. And because what happens if you have lower levels of folates, you get neurotube defects, you get elevated homocysteine, all kinds of bad things that happen. So we decided to fortify the food supply with folic acid. Folic acid does not exist in the diet. It's only as a supplement. And for folic acid to work, it has to go through several enzyme steps, one of which is called the MTHFR. People probably heard about the MTHFR 
SNPs resulting of a homocysteine. The MTHR SNPs only count if the dye is deficient in normal methylated folates and you're dependent upon folic acid. So going way back to arsenic, you need these methylated folates for the body to be able to get rid of arsenic most efficiently. So the best sources of folates are good old green beefy vegetables. Yes. So people are in the area, they have arsenic problems. Really important thing to do is eat green leafy vegetables and eat fermented foods. Fermented foods are also high in these activated folates. So they're ready to do the job rather than something like folic acid that's called well as metabolic processes. For half the population, they don't metabolize folic acid into folates very well at all. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, those, those green vegetables have lots of fiber in them as well. So you get a one-two punch for detox. Yes. And, and also uh, I include a thione and it helps protect from the oxidative damage from the arsenic, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. And so are there any supplements though that you recommend people take just for, because, you know, a lot of people, I have a lot of people coming to me, they're eating lots of green vegetables mm -hmm. and, you know, they still have very high metal levels of different sorts, but for, for arsenic specifically, is there any nutrients that you found that are particularly helpful to kind of accelerate that detox process? I just come back to uh, eating foods rich in folates. And it's quite interesting. If you look at the research on using supplemental folic acid, for treating people with high arsenic levels, the research is inconsistent, okay? And I think the research, recent research is inconsistent because depending upon the test population, you may have one test population that has a high levels of the SNPs where they can convert folic acid back to form, another population is studying where, well, actually they make the conversion okay. So it works for one group of people, doesn't work for another group of people. For another group of people who can't metabolize folic acid into active methylfolates, they actually get toxic reaction from folic acid, increased risk of cancer, things of this nature. So going back to supplements, if you are going to use a supplement, it should not be folic acid, it should be activated folates. So in terms of which supplement I would recommend the most, activated folates. Okay. When, when I'm thinking about people with high levels of toxins, I have kind of three-step three process for how to deal with it. Number one, always avoid it. Just avoid letting the stuff in your body because you have to get rid of it. Number two is, what are the normal mechanisms by which the body uses to get rid of the toxin? Can we support those normal mechanisms? And many times, it's not just supporting the normal mechanisms, but avoiding sabotaging those normal mechanisms. And then if that's not enough, then I go into toxin-specific intervention. With arsenic at this point, stages one and two are, pl are plenty. I don't need to do more than that. I mean, unless it's acute poisoning, at which point the person needs to be in the emergency room anyway. But for the average person, avoidance and facilitating proper folate function is, in my opinion, probably all that you need to do. So can you tell us about any other obesogens that, that we should be concerned about? Oh, sure. So when the researchers were looking at these various chemicals, and they're finding such strong correlations between the body level of these metals and chemicals and diabetes and obesity, they start calling them obesogens and diabetogens. Okay, for good reason. So these things can cause excess weight gain through a, a wide range of mechanisms. So for example, people know that uh, if your thyroid is too low, you tend to gain too much weight because you metabolically aren't actually enough to use up the calories. So anything that damages the thyroid will result in lower thyroid function and increased risk for developing excess weight. What damages the thyroid? Well, first off, of course, is deficiency in iodine. Now you might say, well, that's not a problem, is it? No, it is a problem. We used to have, we've had over history 
a lot of trouble with iodine deficiency. And you used to have something called mixed DMI that you've seen patients and you see children born with low IQ because the mother's levels were so low in thyroid. So we started iodine, we put iodine into the food supply to address this. And it worked, pre worked pretty effectively. We iodine, mainly by iodizing salt. About 30 years ago, we made a fundamental change in our food supply unrecognized that's resulted in the average person's iodine level decreasing by 50%. Why is that? Well, first off, most of the iodine was coming from iodized salt. But when people stopped cooking food at home and instead went out to buy food in restaurants, restaurants tend to use salt that does not have iodine in it. Number two, the second major source of iodine actually was coming from milk because iodine was being used to wash the udders of the cows to sterilize them before the milk came up. Well, they now use antibiotics instead. So now the milk doesn't have as much iodine. And the third factor is iodine-based compounds were used to help uh, raise bread when bread was being made. Well, they're now using bromonated compounds instead, which compete with iodine. Add them all up together, you have low iodine levels. Now you add to it environmental contamination. So for example, cadmium poisons the enzyme systems responsible for making thyroid hormones, but for converting thyroid hormones that are made by the thyroid into the more active version actually used by the cells. And many environmental toxins do the same thing. So the thyroid primarily produces T4. That's kind of a, an amino acid with four iodines on it. When it gets into the cells, cells uh, through enzymes called deiodinases, takes off one of those iodines and it makes it three times more active. And what it does is it promotes the mitochondria to become more active, produce more ATP, and ATP is the energy your body uses to function. So many of these environmental toxins are being exposed to poison the enzyme to convert thyroid into the more active form. Great example is PCBs. So the PCBs directly poison this, and it's a huge problem for dolphins. So you actually look at the T4 and T3 levels of dolphins they've decreased about 25% in the last 50 years. That means that the dolphins no longer have enough as much energy as before and they're more susceptible to shark attacks, for, for example. So it's not just us we're being damaged by this, the whole ecosystem is being damaged as well. Yeah, and mercury plays a huge role also mercury. in poisoning the thyroid and T4 to yeah. T3 conversion. And, yes. you know, I mean, I don't think it's statistically possible to not have some level of mercury in your body. Hard to avoid. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Any other uh, metabolic poisons that we should know about? And the, the point I'm trying to, trying to drive home here is that if you are overweight or have, you know, children or a husband or family member that's overweight, it's in your yourself, it's not your fault. I think a lot of people that are overweight are eating a normal caloric diet, may or may not be exercising. And some, there's a lot of people out there are trying to lose weight and not being able to do that successfully because toxins are poisoning the body's metabolic function and one's ability to lose weight and maintain a healthy weight. Yes, huge problem. If a person does have extra fat, that fat is full of fat-soluble toxins. So when they start losing fat, those toxins get released and poison their metabolism so they feel terrible, which makes it harder to lose weight because you're losing weight and you're feeling terrible, why keep doing it? You know, as a healthcare professional, of course, I've helped uh, a lot of people lose weight. Help people lose weight is not that hard. The hard part is keeping it off. And the only way to keep off weight is number one is to build muscle mass. 
most people may not think, wait, muscle mass? Yes, muscle mass. So if you look at muscle at rest, a pound of muscle burns about 50 calories. But if you look at fat cells at rest, they only produce, they only use about five calories. And fat storage is very efficient. So one of the things I do with the people while I lose weight, and this works real well for women because so often women don't have as much muscle, muscle mass as men do, not so often, most of the time. I help them build muscle mass. So by building muscle mass, even if they're keeping the, consuming the same number of calories, they have enough muscle mass to actually start losing weight. And so muscle mass number two, number one. Number two is to stop eating wheat. I've found that wheat uh, is hugely effective at help, helping uh, people maintain uh, weight. Okay. There's a number of mechanisms. I don't want to get into a lot of it, but um, wheat is number two. And the number three is open up the organs of elimination so that they can get rid of these obesogen from the body. It takes time and it's really critical. I talk about this a lot in my book, The Toxic Solution. It's really quick, critical when a person goes on a weight loss on a weight loss program or a detox program is first open up your organs of elimination, get them working properly before you start steering up the toxins. Because you've got the body to release toxins more quickly than the body can get rid of them, you just redistribute the toxins and cause them more trouble. So if somebody wants to lose weight, I say, before you lose weight, let's get your detox system working properly. So it asks those toxins are coming out, get rid of them as most efficiently as possible. I say the same thing to women too who want to get pregnant. We now know that there's an infertility epidemic going on as well because many of these toxins directly poison fertility. For example, there's a direct inverse correlation between the level of toxins in the man's body and the amount of sperm that they produce. And its um, sperm levels have dropped 50% in the last 100 years because of all these environmental toxins. It's uh, really a, a, a terrible problem in our society that so many couples are having trouble conceiving. And we see this, this you know, explosion of infertility clinics. Again, toxin detoxification is, is part of that problem. There's the, and you have the toxin solution. You have this uh, amazing book out that I highly, highly recommend. It's brilliant. And you have so many scientific citations throughout the book. I mean, your, your, your research is absolutely impeccable and admirable. Can you tell us a little bit more about your book and what someone can expect when they read it? So the, the book, it, I, it kind of subtitles the nine-week program to detoxify your life. What I do with people is I, I first off start out by saying, you know, here's all the major diseases. Here's how they're due to toxins. You know, for example, uh, we talk about arsenic. Lead's another one. Another toxin that's really important is lead. People may say, well, why is lead a problem? We remove from gasoline. We don't paint with it anymore. That's true. But when do people start showing most of the disease? in the 50s and 60s. What happens during the 50s and 60s? Men and women start losing bone. Where's the lead stored? It's stored in the bone. So one of the reasons we see so much disease then is because all these toxins come out of bone, not just lead, mercury comes out as well. So um, I show how most disease, most chronic disease is due to environmental toxins. Then I say, before you go on a detox program, there's no point in going on a detox program until you stop letting the toxins come into your body. So I take people on a two-week program of how you systematically look at all the sources of toxins coming into your body and when then how do you get rid of them? How do, how do you stop those sources? Stop putting the toxins in. Okay, now stop putting the toxins in. Now let's clean up your gut. A big load of toxins for the body also comes from the gut from having the wrong bacteria in the gut. 
and they produce all these chemicals that are poisonous, which then go to the liver to, for detoxification. Well, if the liver has spent all its time and, and its resources breaking down toxins from the gut, then it has less resources available to break down all the other toxins from the environment. So clean up the gut first. Take two weeks doing that. The next step is clean up the liver, get the liver functioning properly. And there's a lot of things we do to help the liver to function properly, to break down toxins more efficiently, but also get them out more efficiently as well. And then the third area of detox, the major one, is the kidneys. And this is interesting because when I first started practicing naturopathic medicine 50 years ago, I didn't see kidney failure. That was another disease that was very uncommon and now incredibly common. I, I just finished a new lecture on uh, how do you restore kidney function because kidneys are hugely damaged by toxins. So the number of strategies you can do to actually regenerate the kidneys and get the gross, the GFR, EGFR, get it back up again where it's supposed to be. So you clean out the kidneys. Okay, now, now we're ready. Now we've got the guts cleaned up, liver's working properly, kidneys working properly. Now let's detoxify. And the number of ways of detoxifying, but far, by far my most favorite is saunas. So if you get in a sauna where you sweat profusely for about 20 minutes, make sure you replete water and trace minerals. In that sweat are many of these toxins that are so hard to get rid of. So the sweat is full of cadmium, mercury, PCBs, Bisphenol A, all these toxins. Bisphenol A is either detoxified, we just get it all the time. PCBs are hard to detoxify, as I mentioned before, half-life two to 20 years. They actually go out pretty effectively through the sweat. Then you start a program where you just sweat for at least 20 minutes, three times a week, and step-by-step you get better. So I tell people, all you do for the first two weeks is shift avoid the toxins, you will already start feeling better. Because many of these toxins are what are called non-persistent. Non-persistent means that the body gets rid of them within a few days. Stop exposure, like arsenic, bisphenol A, it goes away. Some of the toxins are persistent toxins, like the PCBs, like lead. They take a long time to get rid of. So you get a short-term benefit. If you keep it going, you'll see you're progressively improving your health over time. Yeah, and one thing I love about your work is you educate the public and medical doctors as well about this because the most frustrating thing is to for someone to go to a doctor and the doctor's like oh you don't need to detox that's just a bunch of woo-woo you know your body was designed to detox Mm -hmm. and and there i think there's a lot of kind of uh resistance in the conventional medical field that this is a problem or underlying root cause and it's something they also just are not really equipped to address because there's no drug per se to prescribe to detox say apart from dmsa Yes, it doesn't, it doesn't fit the medical model very well at all. So the first part of the statement was correct. Our bodies are actually very good at detoxifying. Now, I've not been able to independently verify this, but one of the smartest people I know, Dr. Sid Baker, a medical doctor in the East Coast, at one of the lectures, his lectures said that 25% of the energy produced every day by the body is used for detoxification. So we think about detoxification for about, you know, environmental toxins. But also use detoxification all the time. So, for example, our, our hormones, you know, like you know, you're a woman, you have a lot of estrogen. I'm a man, I have a lot of testosterone. Okay, well, we think about what it does to produce the female characteristics and the male characteristics, but once it's done that, you gotta get rid of it. So the liver detoxifies estrogen, but it detoxifies estrogen through two pathways. One pathway produces estrogen, which is actually carcinogenic, estrogen metabolites, carcinogenic, increase the risk of things like breast cancer. The other pathway, turns out, 
It's anti-carcinogenic. It actually prevents women from getting breast cancer. How do you determine which pathway you go? By what you eat and by what toxins you're exposed to. So for example, if you like to smoke or you live near a highway with diesel fumes or you like to barbecue your food, I'm not saying don't do those things, but if you do those things, you promote detoxification of estrogen to the pathway that's pro-carcinogenic. Conversely, for eating your, your healthy foods, brassica family foods, cabbage family foods, those cabbage family foods make the estrogen go through the anti-cancer pathway. There's so many examples. Just everyday choices we make that on the short term may not be obvious, but in the long term, they define whether we're healthy or not. Yeah, that's why I love broccoli sprouts. <laughs> broccoli sprouts are amazing for detoxification. They are. Yes. And so anything else that you want to share with us uh, that we haven't mentioned so far in regards to toxins and detoxification? Yes. A foundational naturopathic medicine concept is you must help your patients address the foundations of health. So we can talk a lot about biochemistry, taking vitamins, drugs were appropriate, and things of this nature, all of them have their place. But if the foundation is not there, what can be accomplished is quite limited. So what are the foundations of health? Number one is eating real food. I'm defining real food as organically grown using heirloom seeds. We have so hybridized our food supply, a lot of these important molecules are gone. You gotta eat healthy food. Second is you gotta get, you have to have muscle mass. You have to exercise regularly. Third, you've got to avoid environmental toxins. And fourth, you need to have loving relationships. So these are foundational things. I mean, there are other things we talk about, of course, but those are foundational things. That's what people have to do. And then we start adding more sophistication. Yeah, I know. I, I work with a lot of people as well, detoxing. You, you have to have this kind of foundation built. You have to build the bomb shelter before you drop the bomb. <laughs> you know, you just, you don't want to add fuel to the fire when someone's sick and then start detoxing them. It's like the worst thing that you could do, even though we know they need to detox. Well, Dr. Prezono, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, I highly encourage everyone to get a copy of Dr. Bazorno's book, The Toxin Solution. Fantastic read, it's so educational, and it's, you know, you're one of the top voices about detoxification in our industry. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you for the work you did as well. Yes, and everyone, thanks so much for tuning into the Myers Detox Podcast, where we'll try to educate you about everything related to toxins, environmental chemicals, and how to remove these toxins from your body so you can enjoy a long, healthy, disease-free life. So thank you for tuning in. I'm Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com, and I'll talk to you guys next week. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.